Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. We're going to Genesis 41, and we'll start in verse 1, and it says, after two whole years, and we'll pause there, because there's a lot to read. Uh, There is some backstory here, which you guys have been going over a bit in the last few weeks, uh, but we'll fill a few of these things in, just so we can understand that after two whole years, because it's a big moment for our friend Joseph. Uh, And he's had a number of, you know, things happen in his life. He's had an eventful time of things. So he he had dreams as a young man, didn't he? He had these uh, dreams about him uh, and about how his family would bow down to him. And because he wasn't very wise, he decided to tell his family. And so I was reading this, I was reflecting, I've got a brother and a sister. I am the oldest, so therefore the most important. And if I were to have these dreams... Matt and Beck, you need to bow down to me. That's the dreams. Um, Then they'd have been quite cross with me. That would be quite a horrible thing to say. But Joseph runs with it and decides to brag to his family. He's also the favourite child of his dad's. Uh, His dad likes him so much, he gives him this very elaborate, posh coat to wear. uh, And he's clearly elevating Joseph. Joseph being the younger one in the family, above his brothers. And his brothers get pretty annoyed by this. Uh, and sell him into slavery and pretend that he's been uh, killed. Uh, And that's what they do. Uh, And he's sold into slavery, and then he is bought uh, by an Egyptian family, uh, and he slowly but surely uh, gets more and more responsibility in the house of this Egyptian family. Uh, And then he is falsely accused, falsely accused of rape. And then thrown into jail for that as well. Uh, And while he's in jail, he uh, begins to develop this ability to interpret dreams. God has been speaking to him in dreams, and he is able to interpret these as other people have dreams. Uh, And he helps uh, some other people that are thrown into jail, uh, a baker and a cupbearer who have been uh, got in trouble with Pharaoh. And he interprets uh, their dreams, and those dreams come true. And the baker is uh, killed, but the cupbearer is released And then completely forgets about Joseph. And Joseph is stuck in jail. And we might think, when you think of jail, you might think of strange ways. Or perhaps you might think of maybe some Eastern European place where he's in a room and there's a hole in the wall or something like that. But actually, it's described in this as a pit. He's basically in a hole in the ground, probably a hole in the ground with a lid. That is his life. Uh, And it's important that we just dwell on this where he finds himself at that moment. So Joseph started off as being very gifted, and he is a very gifted individual, but foolish. He is not mature. He is immature. Uh, And his life becomes very difficult. Now, it feels a bit harsh to say he's immature and he got what he deserved, because what he got was being sold into slavery. And I'm not sure that is a fair way of teaching people who are immature. It seems somewhat disproportionate, doesn't it? You're arrogant to your family, they sell you into slavery. It doesn't seem entirely fair, but that is what happens to him. But it does tell us that Joseph lacked wisdom. He was not wise as a young man. And so he finds himself in jail where his prophetic gift, his interpretive gift proves to be very useful, but only useful to the people around him. Actually, he is forgotten. He finds himself 
being completely forgotten. And it's actually, when you read the story, it's amazing how quickly he's forgotten as well. It seems like the cupbearer actively decides to forget about Joseph. Actively decides, oh, I've got out, my life is, I've got it back. Right, screw him, I'm done. Right, it's just completely forget about him. Cast him aside from my thoughts. Not very good. And this time of isolation, of hiddenness, of basically being in a hole in the ground with a lid, seems to have some sort of impact on Joseph. Seems to kind of affect him quite deeply. Things begin to happen in his heart and in his life, uh, and it seems to have quite a profound effect. And this is where we find him at the beginning of Genesis 41, after two whole years. And at this point, Pharaoh starts to have some dreams. He has two dreams that are relatively unusual dreams. It says that there are, in his dreams, seven healthy, fat cows, okay? Seven cows. And these cows come out of the River Nile. And the River Nile is the great river that goes through Egypt that brings life to the whole lands, uh, and still does, actually. Uh, And so it's an important symbol to the people of Egypt. Look, the Nile gives them life. And so these fat cows come out of the Nile and think, yes, that's because the Nile brings life to us. It's very important for us as a nation. It's why they were so dominant and so rich and wealthy for so long. And then in this dream... These fat cows are on the banks of the river. And then seven thin, unhealthy cows come out of the River Nile and eat the fat cows. Unusual dream. Pharaoh wakes up, a little confused, falls back to sleep. There is another dream. In this dream, there are seven healthy stalks of grain and then seven unhealthy stalks of grain. And the unhealthy stalks kind of consume and eat the healthy ones. Pharaoh wakes and it says his spirit is troubled. He knows in himself there's something going on here. This feels uncomfortable. Uh, This isn't right. I don't understand. Sometimes you have strange dreams. You wake up and five, ten minutes later, they're gone. Sometimes you have a dream that kind of sticks with you all day, doesn't it? And I think Pharaoh had a few of those dreams. They, They stuck with him in his mind, in his heart. And so he talks to his wise men, he talks to his magicians, uh, and he would have had many and many of these uh, people around him who would tell him what he wanted to hear or uh, would interpret things, uh, and none of them could do it. None of them could make any sense of these dreams. And then this cupbearer, the one who's you know, completely forgotten uh, about Joseph, had cast him out of his mind. I wonder actually if he decided, I'm not going to talk about the fact I was in jail. I'm now back in Pharaoh's good books. So I don't want to look like someone who used to be in jail. So I'm going to completely delete that part from my life. I'm, uh, I'm a very successful, powerful person. I work for the Pharaoh. But then he suddenly remembers. Uh, and it, it's almost like he says, oh, yeah, I remember some of the bad things that I did. I'd forgotten about those. Uh, And I was in the pit with a guy called Joseph, and he interpreted my dreams, Pharaoh. Uh, Perhaps he would help you with yours. Cupbearer is only looking to make himself look good here, but we move on from him. And so Pharaoh calls for Joseph. Joseph interprets, he listens to these dreams, and then he explains them. He says, look, it's very simple. Uh, Both of these dreams are one dream. They mean the same thing, Pharaoh means there are going to be seven years of plenty because the Nile is this place of goodness and health for the whole land. So it shows out of the Nile there's going to be seven years of plenty. But then there will be seven years of famine. And the famine will be so very severe 
Uh, and even though those good years are going to be some of the best years ever, those seven years of famine are going to wipe them out. Okay? They are going to cause you a lot of difficulty, a lot of harm. And so Joseph instructs. He's just stood there in front of Pharaoh. He's talking. So he says, okay, this is what you need to do, Pharaoh. You need to select a wise and discerning man. Put him in charge of this and he will find a way for you to do it. And even suggests, okay, this is what the guy should do. He should uh, kind of uh, organise it so you're storing grain over the seven good years, put them in cities, uh, and um, you build so that you can get through those seven years. Get, get yourself a really good reserve. There's no reason why this should be difficult for you. Uh, and Pharaoh likes the plan, and Joseph gets the job. And Pharaoh says to Joseph, since God has shown you all of this, There is none so discerning and wise as you are. Joseph is a gifted person. He is blessed by God and in himself, who he is, he is a gifted person. He's probably about 30 at this moment. So he's still young, but he is gifted. Uh, And Pharaoh says, you shall be over my house and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I have set you over the land of Egypt. So it was quite a day for him. In the morning, he was in the pits, having whatever you have for breakfast in the pit. Maybe a cockroach for breakfast. That was his life. And then by later on that day, he was out of the pit. Suddenly, he's the second most powerful man in all of Egypt. And in this moment, Pharaoh even gives him fine clothes to wear. So when Joseph was a young man, his dad gave him this coat to wear, very kind of powerful symbol to his brothers, and his brothers cast him out because of it. But in this moment, another powerful man, the Pharaoh, gives him clothes to wear. He, he suddenly is dressed in fine clothes all over again. It's a moment of symbolism that shows that Joseph is where he should be. And Joseph's plan works. If we keep reading through uh, Genesis 41, we see actually when the famine comes, he does exactly as he describes. He he has a plan. He stores all of the grain so there's more than they know what to do with. And his plan has a very, very wide impact. When the famine comes, it says in verse 56 to 57, when the famine spread over all the lands, Joseph opened up the storehouses. He waited, he was patient, he opens them up and then sold to the Egyptians. For the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. And it doesn't stop there though, and this is fascinating. It says, moreover, all the earth came to Egypt, came to Joseph to buy grain because the famine was severe over all the earth. So Joseph's story actually is a pretty unusual story as we read it. We are reading kind of it's the origin story of Israel. Uh, Joseph is one of the the great fathers of the nation. Joseph is the reason eventually that Israel forms in Egypt really. He is the reason that they are uh, respected and actually that they begin to prosper and actually that they begin to grow and uh, soon to outnumber the Egyptians which is where their problems begin to arise um, uh, much later when Moses is on the scene. But he is part of their origin story. But we can learn in this how God deals with Joseph. We see how actually the isolation that he experiences, the the difficulty, that moment of being forgotten and deliberately forgotten, overlooked even, 
being that lonely person who's just left there in the pits with nobody even thinking about him, being completely unthought of. Even his father, his mother, thought he was dead. His brothers had a clue as to where he might be, but they weren't thinking about him more anymore either. Imagine the impact this would have on him. How did that very difficult season in life affect him? Actually, I think we can see a few clues in this story as to what this did to Joseph. I think, actually, we see a very humble Joseph come out of the pits. It says in verse 14, it says, When Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. You see Pharaoh's people run into this place, getting him out. And when he had shaved himself, it says, and changed his clothes, he came before the Pharaoh. This is a very simple verse. Basically, they got him out of jail and he took a moment to clean himself, to shave, to get a change of clothes before he went before one of the most powerful people in that moment, probably in all of humanity. And he went and stood before them. And in this moment, there is no resentment in his behaviour, actually. He got himself ready to be acceptable to Pharaoh. This person who had this power over his life, who had left him in this place, who could have released him at any moment, but just didn't care about him and left him there, probably didn't even know that he existed. Pharaoh is the top of this organisation, this empire, that system that just leaves people in a pit, leaves them forgotten. And he would, nothing had seems to have grown in him of bitterness, of anger. He had nothing to lose in this moment. He must have wondered, there must have been whole days, weeks, months where he just wondered, will I ever be thought of again? Will I be, anybody ever come and find me? Years hidden away. And he seems to have used his hiddenness well. And this is a strange thing to say, isn't it, actually? But this waiting doesn't seem to have produced bitterness within him or or any resentment within him. Or any sense of entitlement, actually. Joseph was being used. He'd been used by the cupbearer once already. You remember that guy? And then forgotten. And now he was going to be used by Pharaoh again. And he seems happy just to let this happen. And perhaps he could have got there and asserted his rights. He said, well, why should I help you? You're probably going to throw me back in the hole in the ground anyway. I'll just, no, I'm not helping you. Uh, You might kill me, but that could be better than the hole that I was living in. What, you know, why, you know, I'm talented. I've been, I've been able to do this stuff for years. How come you people have only just noticed this right now? Suddenly you're in trouble and you need me. There is none of that. And actually, as a young man, when we first meet Joseph, when he's with his brothers, showing off about the dreams that he had, about them bowing down to him, and when he was the most loved of all the sons, and he would have been showing off this coat that he wore and was clothed in favour and honour. And that moment, he had a very deep sense of his own specialness, didn't he? Very deep sense of his own importance. So important that he must be heard. I am a big deal right now, so if I've got things to say, you people need to listen to me. And actually, I'm a pretty big deal, so I I expect that position, thank you. And the father thinks I'm the best, so I'm going to walk around with this coat being the best of all of you. You must honour and respect me. And we meet a very different Joseph now, don't we? This is a Joseph that realised that he needed to be quiet and to wait Now, a confession for you from me, 
Uh, the thing that the Holy Spirit tells me most often, uh, it's that kind of little nudge of the Spirit when you're in situations, is to wait and be quiet. Sometimes it's a quite explicit, Tim, just shut up. And I am absolute rubbish at both those things. I'm absolute rubbish at waiting and quietness. Not good at those things at all. And actually, uh, it's a bit of a running joke between Vicky, my wife, and I, uh, is that I have an opinion on anything and everything, even if I actually don't know very much about the thing. I'm quite happy to just talk about it and pretend that I do know about it. Uh, and it's a bit of a joke in our house. Like, yeah, Dad thinks he knows about this thing. And uh, I'll think I'm an expert on anything. So I'm pretty happy to be mouthy about anything. You get talking to me afterwards, you think, yeah, Tim is pretty opinionated uh, chap. And so the Holy Spirit will regularly tell me, Tim, just be quiet, wait, and listen. And Joseph had changed from being that young man seeking attention wearing the flashy coat, showing his position and place in the world, standing out. He changed from that guy to the one that will, when he's going to get before Pharaoh, think, okay, I need to shave, I need to dress. Why is that? I need to fit in here. I need to not stand out. I need to look like the other Egyptians right now. I need to be humble and respectful to Pharaoh. That was the person that we encountered. I'm going to be submissive even. That's a moment of humbleness and maturity there in Joseph. To recognise his place in the world. And what is his place in the world? At that point, it's a hole in the ground. And to trust God in that moment. Not to become bitter, but actually, you know what? I trust you for where I am. Not even to give in to the disappointments you imagine how he thought his life was going to work out when he got those first dreams of ruling over his family? There, there was some disappointment that may have got into him as his life had got very, very different, very difficult. But actually, he shows a lot of maturity. So he's a humble Joseph. He's also a Godward Joseph. So what do I mean by that? Well, Pharaoh, as he invites him in, invites him into his courts, invites him to stand before, again, one of the most powerful people on the planet at that moment, and invites him to advise him and help the Pharaoh, that is a pretty big opportunity to show off, isn't it? That's a, a big opportunity to just show, aren't right, these are the things that I am good at, Pharaoh. So Pharaoh says to Joseph, I've had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. I've heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. And what does Joseph do at this moment? He just points to God. He says, it's not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favourable answer. When called upon, when he gets his moments, gets his point of freedom, his point to actually uh, say, this is who I am, this is why you people need to value me, I can't believe you've left me in a hole in the ground. And what does he do? Actually, he points away from himself points to God. As we find Joseph at this moment, he has a Godward life. He has a pointing at God's life. So what does this mean? It means he turned everything he had towards God in those moments. And actually, in that moment, he didn't have much, did he? He didn't have much to give to God. And as well, he wasn't grasping for much. He wasn't trying to pull things into himself. He was just pointing at God's and in this moment we see he's no longer a boy a boy is showing off actually he's a grown-up he is an adult pointing at his father in heaven 
The point in history that we live in, the time we live in, the, the culture that we live in, actually is, works a bit differently to that, doesn't it? We live in very entitled times. We perhaps uh, live in quite an entitled culture. Uh, as a nation, I think we operate in those ways. We are very keen to fence off and protect our rights while not necessarily being that interested in other people's. We're very keen to protect and fence off our sense of who we are and our identity, and we'll put that above, actually, other people. And we're keen also, we are going to be the best version of ourselves. We're, we're going to prove ourselves in the world. And that, that's not always wrong, but in this moment, we see Joseph doing something very different. And saying, actually, this is about God. God will answer you, this is really not very much to do with me. Now, it'd be quite easy when you read this uh, section of Genesis uh, and this part of Joseph's story to make it about his own personal success story. Even, like, turn it into a, like, he's gone from the pit to the palace. What are the points we can follow so we too can have these great lives of success? Perhaps it's his career journey. His career has gone from a very low point, hasn't it? But he's turned it round. He's really good in an interview. This is what's happened here. And he's turned his life round. And we also can succeed in life in this way. We also have a great path to go to. There's a dream that we can fulfill where we'll truly get to be who we are meant to be, like the Disney version. Of, of Joseph's life. Uh, even if you start in the very most difficult place, all of us can achieve great things. It's the capitalist dream, isn't it? With hard work, you can achieve anything. But I bet if we went and talked to Joseph at this moment, uh, he wouldn't believe that. He would be able to tell us, look, there are a number of things that have happened in my life which have been completely outside of my control. Completely. I'm at the whim of much more powerful people than me. I was accused of things that I didn't do and thrown in jail. There was nothing I could do about that. My, my family objected to my behavior, and sure, I didn't behave very well, but they sold me to slavery. That was, I, I was a victim there. I was not powerful in those moments at all. Even as I'm dragged out of the pit, that was nothing to do with me. Nobody was thinking about me. It's all because of God. He focused on God. A good friend of mine is a pastor in Ukraine. I say he's a good friend. He can't speak any English. I can't speak a word of Russian. Uh, but when there's an interpreter there, he re- he's a very funny man. He's called Volodya, and he's just a brilliant evangelist. Really, really funny. He's huge as well. So his shoulder comes to about there on me. He's like this wide. So a bear hug off him is, you think, oh, there's a chance I may not come out of this alive. He's just a wonderful guy. And as a young man in his early 20s, he was in the Ukrainian mafia. And uh, he, um, he was... Uh, he said, what we used to do is clear out people's flats. I mean, I was like, by that, do you mean you'd burgle them? He was like, yes, yeah, we just take all of their stuff. So his gang would go to someone's flat, literally clear it so carpet, everything was gone, and then they'd sell it all on. And it seemed that was quite a profitable business for him. And in one of these flats, the, unfortunately for them, the owner was there and attacked him with a hammer. And he found himself in hospital, and he prayed to God, Lord, if I'm going to come out of this... I'll live for you, I'll I'll worship you, I'll follow you. And uh, he came out of it and he gave himself to God and he uh, became an evangelist and a pastor. And he told me one day that his gang came back, they found him where he was, came back to see him. And uh, I was like, oh man, why did they do that? And he said, they were testing whether I was a proper Christian. If they thought I was a proper Christian, they'd let me live. They thought I was faking it, they're going to kill me. That's why they were there. 
So they came and they said to him, oh, from the last burglary we did, you know, the one where they hit you with a hammer, uh, we've got some money. Uh, so do you want your part of it? And he said, Tim, at, the moment, at that moment, I literally was working on a pig farm. I had no money. My first house, the floor was mud. I had absolutely nothing. And I had to say, no, I don't want any of that. And uh, he walked away. Now he's a good man. Um, and he gave up all of that to follow Jesus. And he lost as well. In the war, he lost just loads. He lost his house in, uh, in Mariupol. When that was bombed out, it's all gone. He saw awful things. He's been made destitute again. Um, but this week, I saw just on Facebook uh, a video of him uh, at a youth camp. And he's this big guy. And he's leading all of these youth and kids in dancing. And it looks... I mean, crazy. To be fair, if ex-Ukrainian mafia says, you'll dance now, everyone's like, yep, we're going to dance. And so that's what they all did. They were dancing, and he was cooking and cleaning and running this camp. And he is a giant, a spiritual giant, and seeing God do incredible things. But whenever I talk to him, he points to God. So I'm a little bit like, who's this? I want what this guy's got. And he's like, oh, it's all God. It's nothing to do with me. Uh, and he knows his story. He knows who he is in his life. And he just points to God. Even in just horrible suffering of the war, but in joy and pain as well. He points uh, his family to God's and his churches to God's. He is a good man. He is, has a Godward life. And we also discover about Joseph at this moment as we meet him that he is a listening Joseph. So he's humbled, he's Godward, and he is listening. Joseph knows the voice of God, right? He understands these dreams. He understood what God's intentions were in those moments. And you only get that by lots and lots of listening, by lots of time. And those two years, and perhaps even years before that as well, of being unseen, unheard, unthought of, in those moments I think he was just listening. The years that followed being sold into slavery, the years that followed the false accusations, what do you do in those times, those moments of hiddenness, those moments where even those who are really close to you just don't seem to understand, those moments where you think, oh, nobody is thinking about me in these times, nobody is interested in me. In, what, in those moments, what do you do? Well, there's a call here, actually, to find God in our hiddenness, to be ready for when God actually wants to involve us. And it seems God, our Father in heaven, actually knew Joseph, could see him, was thinking about him and knew when he would be ready. And Joseph seems to be incredibly patient in this moment, knows when God is ready to move. When we, uh, we moved to Manchester 14 years ago, so Stu's been here for 10 years, I've been here 14 years, so I beat Stu. Uh, and uh, when we moved up, we joined what is the Gorton site, uh, which is the, the only one that we had at that point in time, and we planted into Fallowfields. And in my wisdom, we planted it into a vodka bar and we gave away free shots of vodka. Yeah, there you go. Would I do it again? Yes, probably. It was a lot of fun. Um, but it was really, really difficult. Uh, difficult for a number of reasons, mainly because I had no idea what I was doing. I was very inexperienced, clueless, uh, but a little bit desperate. Uh, and really, those first couple of years, not very much happened it grew so slowly, like it was painfully slow. Hardly anybody wanted to become a Christian. Hardly anybody wanted to even be there uh, and be with us. Um, and, but God used that time, actually. He used that time to, to deal with me. 
And now that's not all he did. Church isn't just about what God's doing with the pastor. He just, there was loads of other things happening as well. But at that moment, God was working on me too and doing something deep within me. And he grew me up. Actually, just used that opportunity to shape me and form me. And I'm not saying he was preparing me for a tremendous success. That's what he is. That is what we learn from Joseph's story, because that is not true. That's not what this story is about. He was preparing me to become his son, actually, to become someone who listens to God, to become someone who seeks out and finds God, even if you happen to find yourself in the pit, to be moulded and shaped, to become someone who advances God's kingdom, not our own. So Joseph's first bunch of dreams with his brothers, whose kingdom was he advancing? Clearly his. You lot are going to worship me. This is going to be great. It was the kingdom of Joseph that was on the march in those times. But as he comes out of the pit and he's in front of Pharaoh, he's about the kingdom of God. And in Joseph, and we'll finish there, we see a massive clue about Jesus. Joseph here equals Jesus. This is another reason why when we read the story of Joseph, it isn't necessarily appropriate to see Joseph and say, oh, that's me in the story. That's what it's meant to be. That's not true. Actually, when we read the story of Joseph, really we're supposed to see the brothers as, okay, yeah, that's probably me. Uh, Or we're supposed to see Pharaoh in the land of Egypt and think, yeah, okay, that's probably me. Or when the brothers appear again later and are desperate to be fed and get restored back to Joseph, we're supposed to see ourselves in those moments. And we see a massive clue, though, in Joseph, actually as to the role of God's people in creation. Again, it says in verse 56 and 57, so when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened up the storehouses. Remember the ones that he'd filled and very cleverly over seven years, make sure they kept lots and lots. And you can imagine there were some people kind of halfway through year seven are thinking, this isn't going to happen. We've got so much here. This is ridiculous. Why don't we eat just a little bit more? Let's enjoy what we've got. And Joseph held the line, opens up the storehouses and starts selling to the Egyptians who were super grateful for the famine was severe. But then all the earth came to Egypt, to Joseph, to buy grain. Everywhere came to him because the famine was severe everywhere. An incredible picture, isn't it? Very pictorial and do we think every human on the planet came to Joseph at that moment? Who knows? But it seems quite likely, actually, just in the, the big area that there was, many nations and people groups and ethnicities were flooding in, desperate for help. Actually, it's a massive hint to us how God is going to restore creation, restore relationship between him and uh, humans, between God and people. There's a big picture there in Joseph, how that would happen but also how he would restore relationships between people, between humans. And Joseph's story is one of his family being restored to him, isn't it? This is the work of God's. This is what we get to be part of. And in this story, we see Joseph feeding the world. Well, Joseph, who came from nothing, from this pit, what does he end up doing? He ends up bringing hope, ends up bringing life. He starts doing the thing that the, the River Nile is supposed to do, which has failed. In se- this seven years of famine, it's not feeding them. It's not growing their crops. Joseph actually is doing that in that moment. Jesus, a few thousand years later, would describe himself in a similar way, showing that Joseph is, a, is a, a, an imperfect nod towards uh, Jesus. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. 
And whoever believes in me shall not thirst. The nations are going to come to me, he's saying, and they're going to eat. What we see in this story in Genesis as they flood in is actually what Jesus does. When you're sat here in Reddish and it's a school hall, it's a bit warm, and you're thinking about your week, um, thinking about all the stuff you've got going on, actually, you are part of the church of God. And the nations come to us, and we show them Jesus, and Jesus is the bread of life to them. Reddish comes to us. We show them Jesus. He is the bread of life. They won't hunger and they won't thirst when uh, they are for Jesus. When we think about our city, when we think about the country we live in, think about planting churches in those places or into Europe, we're actually just saying, Jesus is the bread of life. We're here to feed you. As Jesus hung on a cross, as Joseph is forgotten in a pit, God actually works out his plan in those moments to restore and feed. 